You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Anything will give up its secrets if you love it enough. Not only have I found that when I talk to the little flower or to the little peanut, they will give up their secrets, but I have found that when I silently commune with people, they give up their secrets also, if you love them enough. Hello, friend, and welcome back to For the Love of History. I'm TK, and I'm really looking forward to this episode today because I love peanuts and peanut butter. The North American love of peanut butter is a mystery to many people outside of America. Living in Japan, I'm no stranger to odd looks in the teacher's room as I eat my PB&J or simply just dip a sliced apple into the chunky goodness of Skippy peanut butter. But after researching this week, I have discovered that peanuts and peanut butter are more than soul healing treats. And I'm not gonna lie to you, friend, after my research, I've kind of changed the focus of this episode. I moved a little bit away from peanut butter to just the peanut itself. And I hope you will forgive me my divergence and enjoy the episode. So grab a jar of peanut butter and a spoon or a bag of chocolate-covered M&Ms. Those are my favorite. And let's get started. So as we always do, let's start at the beginning. Where in the heck do peanuts come from and how and why did they spread all over the world? We can find peanuts in Chinese dishes, African dishes, Indian dishes, American dishes, all over the place. But where did it come from? The peanut is not a nut. In fact, it is something called legume, legume, which is really fun to say. So our little nut imposter started its life in South America, specifically in Peru and Brazil. We know this because we have found pottery in the shape of peanuts, as well as peanuts that are decorating different places. And also we found peanuts in tombs, which is super cool. In South America, people believed that the peanut would help people in the afterlife. So you just drop a bunch of peanuts in the tomb and there you go. You're set when you're dead. In addition to these artifacts, archaeologists also found recipes for peanut-based drinks with peanuts and maize, the little tiny corn, and also other dishes. For example, the earliest form of peanut butter, although I would venture to say it was not as delicious as our modern Skippy and Jif and Peter Pan. Pan? Pam? Either way. (laughs) So how did the peanut travel to North America, you ask? Well, directly from South America, no? No, it did not. It would take quite some years for the little legume to make its way to North America. In 1502, a guy named Bartolome de las Casas wrote about peanuts, but said that the Spanish were like, nah, we're not going to eat this nutritious, protein-packed wonder food because it's too lowly. We are Spanish. We're not going to eat it. But regardless of this, they brought it back to Spain anyways because it was super cool. So from then, through different means of international trade, 
the peanut spread all over to Asia, Europe, and the African continent, but it still had not reached North America. Peanuts were so big in West Africa and so popular there that botanists thought for years that peanuts originated from this area. They took off like no other, but still no peanuts in North America. Not until the early 1600s. During the early 1600s, one of the most appalling things to ever happen to humans began. The Atlantic slave trade. And peanuts find their way to North America in the pockets of those who were enslaved. Peanuts were used to sustain these enslaved Africans during their forced removal from their homeland and horrendous abduction to North America. When you look this up on the American National Peanut Board, it says Africans brought them over, but let's call a spade a spade, National Peanut Board, it was enslaved Africans who were forcibly brought over, who then brought them over. Own your shit, National Peanut Board. So this very unfortunately is how North America got the peanut. And for years, the peanut was looked down upon and forgotten due to it being for those who were enslaved as well as animals. Things looked grim for the peanut. Because of asinine racism and discrimination, people refused to see its economic, health, and delicious benefits. The peanut was almost lost. But those who were enslaved had made the peanut such a huge part of their diet out of sheer necessity that plantation owners and others began to take notice of the legume, going from home gardens to plantation gardens, working its way to non-plantation farmers and then on to poor white people. The peanut grew in popularity. However, the peanut would find its big break in one man. George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver was born into slavery a few months before the Emancipation Proclamation, and he would grow into one of the most influential scientists of all time and end up being the man who not only saved the peanut, and therefore peanut butter, but also the South. Carver's life is fascinating and worthy of a podcast all of its own. And if that's something you guys would be interested in, I would be more than happy to make an episode on him. Carver would be the first black man to do many things in the United States and to be honored with many things in the United States, most notably being the first to graduate from Iowa State University and work as the director of the Iowa State Experimental Station. So this was kind of like a farm area, an experimental farm area. During his time there, he made so many discoveries. For example, he found two new types of fungi and they were named after him. Carver also began experimenting with crop rotation using soy plantings and different nitrogen-rich plants to enrich the depleted soil. Before long, Carver became a well-known leading agricultural scientist. The man revolutionized agriculture in the United States. But what did he do for the peanut? Carver was determined to use his knowledge to help poor farmers of the rural South. The cash crop at the time was cotton, and it really 
sucked out all of the nutrients in the soil. So what Carver did was he introduced the idea of crop rotation to help replenish those nutrients, but he needed a good enough crop to really get the job done. And he settled on peanuts because they were simple to grow and they were an excellent source of nitrogen. He then took his lessons to those who were formerly enslaved who turned into sharecroppers. And he invented something called the Jessup wagon, which was a horse-drawn classroom and laboratory for demonstrating soil chemistry. Free, it's, it's, That's so cool. It was a classroom on wheels. It's amazing. Farmers were so excited about this. However, they were not excited about the utter surplus that there was of peanuts. There was so many peanuts being grown at this time that it just built up and built up and began to rot in local storehouses. So what did the ingenious carver do? Well, he began experimenting on peanuts. In all, he developed more than 300 food, industrial and commercial products from peanuts, including milk, Worcestershire sauce, punches, cooking oils, and salad oil, paper, cosmetics, soap, and wood stains. He also experimented with peanut-based medicines, such as antiseptics, laxatives, and goiter medications. However, contrary to popular belief, he did not invent peanut butter, although he did make a type of peanut butter. In fact, many different types of peanut butter. This little non-nut had been through so much, but it had one more job to do with George Washington Carver. In the South, like I said, cotton was king, and the economy lived off of cotton. But in the mid-1920s, a little insect called the boll weevil would come in and mess it all up. George Washington Carver had been experimenting with a peanut for years at this point and was also doing experiments on crop rotation. Cotton sucked all the nutrients and good stuff out of the soil and could only be planted a few times in the same area. So there was just a ton of land in North Carolina and Alabama and other areas in the South that was just no good to plant in. And on top of the depleted soil, there was a tiny little insect devil that came and destroyed what little cotton there was. The bull weevil was a plague upon cotton. People couldn't grow cotton, and if people couldn't grow cotton, they couldn't make money. And if people couldn't make money, the economy was shot. The South was on the brink of economic collapse, but Carver assembled an agricultural department at Tuskegee University, and what he did was visited nearby farmers and teach them, once again, farming techniques such as crop rotation, fertilization, and erosion prevention. He not only taught poor previously enslaved sharecroppers, but also rich, wealthy, white farmers. At first, there was a lot of reluctance and pushback, but eventually they listened to him and the peanut became incredibly profitable and saved not only the Southern economy, but also replenished the land as well. There was a surplus of peanuts 
and not wanting to be wasteful again, he published a book called How to Grow the Peanut and 105 Ways of Preparing It for Human Consumption. The South was saved. The peanut was king, and the beautiful non-nut that created peanut butter was securely a staple crop in the United States. I know this episode has diverted a lot from the original title, The Glorious History of Peanut Butter. But after I started researching, I realized that it wasn't about the peanut butter. It was about the peanuts themselves and those who very much unwillingly were forced to bring peanuts to the United States, as well as the man who not only saved the peanut, but saved the South and made so many contributions to science as a whole. Not only to science really, but just to mankind in general. Everybody benefits from science. So I thought it was important to highlight this rather than the history of only peanut butter. Today, the day this podcast is airing for the first time, is June 19th. And June 19th is a very special holiday. A lot of people don't know about it because it's just not talked about or taught in schools in the United States. So my final thought today is gonna be just to give you a very, very brief history on what Juneteenth is. The Emancipation Proclamation was issued on January 1st, 1863. However, apparently, Texas didn't get the freaking memo until two and a half years later. On the 19th of June in 1865, Union Army General Gordon Grainer read the federal orders of the Emancipation Proclamation in the city of Galveston, Texas, proclaiming that all enslaved persons in the U.S. state of Texas were now free. Now, why Texas? What happened here? Texas was the most remote of the slave states with a low presence of Union troops. So enforcement of the proclamation had been slow and very inconsistent. So finally, like I said, two and a half years later, after the Emancipation Proclamation, everyone in the United States was finally free from enslavement. Juneteenth wouldn't become a holiday until 1980. It started out in Texas and moved to a few other states. On this day, it's a celebration recognizing the official end of slavery, as well as a celebration of the culture and achievements of African Americans. In light of recent events, other states are following suit and making Juneteenth an official holiday, as it very well should be. Friend, this is just a very, very small look at the history of Juneteenth, so I really encourage you to go out, do some research yourself, continue your education. I'm going to be recommending some podcasts that I think are really great and educational um, on the topic. So I really encourage you guys to go listen to them, please. And thank you. And for the final, final thought, I want to leave you with a quote from George Washington Carver. He was a great man and a gentle soul, and he benefited the world in so many ways. And he said, education is the key to unlock the golden door of freedom. 
Thank you so much for listening to the 10th episode of For the Love of History. It's crazy to think that this is episode 10, and I'm really thankful for all of you who listen in every week. I really appreciate it and all of your comments and messages on the Instagram. I cannot tell you how much they mean to me. So thank you. Thank you. And that's all I got for you. Tune in next week to learn all about the Tanuki, the mysterious raccoon creature of Japan. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. <laughs>